0: We're going to start week two here of our series, and and, uh, the caveats, uh, which I ask you guys for uh, as we do this, of course, is the first thing, as we go into this this series even deeper, remember, we are going to take a step further each week. So last week might be shocking for most of us. What you don't know is you're only into your ankles. (laughs) We're about to take one more step this week, and we've still got two more. Stay with me. Move slowly. Do not assume that you understand where we're going to go with all this. Okay? Um, With that as well, it's important for you guys to understand, you need to trust my intentions, but you do not have to agree with my teaching. Okay? You understand that to the best of my ability, my heart is to continue to lead you into following Jesus to a deeper level. Okay, to mature you and, and truly being Christians who follow Jesus with a full heart. And so what the Scriptures, what I'm going to do is I'm going to continue to teach you uh, to the best of my ability. And you know, what I ask of you is to allow the Scriptures to affect you. Okay? You should not be able to sit through these sermons and not get a little bit bothered. Agreed? Okay? You need to let it bother you. Don't get hard and put up your walls and have it bounce off you. Don't get um, evasive and pull out your phone and, you know, be on Facebook because it's just too uncomfortable. Let it kind of bother you. And then when you go to the scriptures, when you begin to prayer, allow God to take you somewhere, okay? The goal um, at the end of this series is not to have us all thinking the same way. The goal is that we've all exposed our hearts and our minds and our lives to the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Amen. Third thing, you need to speak up. If you have any questions whatsoever, okay, in this series, you need to voice them to me. So, if you have questions, and if you don't yet, you might, at the end of this sermon, pray about it, process it, and then I want you to come see me Thursday night, 630, at Starbucks in Van Buren. I will be there with coffee, and I will try to help you get some answers. I will not give too many answers because we still have some things to talk about in the series, okay? But if something is really bothering you, speak up. Come sit down with me. We'll talk it over. And uh, again, it's important to speak up. Agreed? All right, so last week, we learned something pretty interesting last week. What we learned last week is that the cross and the resurrection might not mean what we thought it meant, specifically most of us knew the spiritual meanings, but we didn't necessarily understand the earthly political meanings. And so, you know, as we opened up the gospel story, as we began to see what was going on around Jesus, as we learned uh, kind of, if, if you would, the expectations of all these different groups um, of Jews and Romans and just the way that they thought he was going to, to make the world right, the way he was going to stop you know, death and violence and oppression, the way that they thought that he was supposed to establish the reign of God was not what they expected. And he ex- they expected an army, they expected a throne, they expected a king who was going to make Israel great again. Just messing, just messing. Okay. And everyone's like, okay, we're leaving. We're leaving. But he doesn't do that, does he? And what He does is so shocking that His own disciples are left hopeless. So confused, angry, bitter, and hopeless. And it wasn't for another month where they actually were able to piece together what He was doing. And what He was doing was this. He was coming to show the world that when God is in control, it does not look like when man is in control. He was coming to set up such a different kingdom that when you would look at the kingdom compared to any other nation, they would be so starkly different that you would not be able to confuse the two. This is what it looks like when God is king. This is what it looks like when any other man is king. And this is crucial because the message that he brings is that the kingdom of heaven, the reign of God, when God becomes king, is coming to your doorstep. And you have a choice to make. Which king, which kingdom are you going to trust? Do you believe that this kingdom and this king and this kind of rule is going to change your life to make your life better, to make the world better? Or do you believe that you need to trust other types of rules and kingdoms and kings which you have seen already? This is still the challenge to you today. What bothers us so much about this is that if this is really what the gospel means, it means that we cannot separate Jesus from the ballot box anymore. It means that to be a Christian is not just a spiritual thing, it's not just um, something that happens when the world ends or when I die, it's not just something that affects me, you know, as far as like. Do I go to heaven or hell? It means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, someone who has given their life to a new Lord, a new King. Because we all did what? We all confessed Jesus as Lord. It means that that started that moment and it continues through this moment until we choose to either renounce that King or we choose to continue to keep our allegiance to this King. Now, the goal here is to raise questions. And he, yeah, I can see it on your faces. We have questions. That's good. I will not answer all of them this week, okay? Next week is when we're really going to get into the nitty-gritty of how this affects you, okay? So what's this mean, you know, when I vote? What's this mean, you know, what's it mean to be a Christian, to be an American? I mean, like, how does these things collide? We're going to open that up, but prior to that, we have to understand... What nations are, okay? So with last week we understood that with the cross, Jesus embodied. He gave us the ultimate uh, picture of what it looks like when God is in control. What type of world, what type of leader, what type of, of community this will be. And so in this, the question we have now is, okay, that's all great, but what does this mean in the setting which we're in today? Now, I want you guys to think back to Genesis 2, right? So we have creation, and so he makes the world, and he makes man, and he says what? It is good, right? And so what happens here is is that God, he gives man a role. It's called delegated authority. That's what he says to man. He says, okay, here's this, this earth, this world I put you in, and I'm going to put you in it, and your function okay, is to be over, to be a steward, if you would, to, to have the delegated authority of God over all creation, right? The uh, King James says to what? To subdue it, right? Now, what happens in the garden, we see this, you know, this, this, this sin, this rebellion with God, but one thing that we miss a lot is that we see the man is put here on the earth, and Man's put over creation, if you would, the, the plants, and the animals, all these things. But we don't ask a very important question. Who's over man? And the one important thing for us to understand about the story in Genesis is that while man is put over creation, God is still over man. Does that make sense? Okay, so when it comes to order, when it comes to justice, when it comes to safety, uh, provision, if you would, because um, in the passage there in Genesis, you know, again, he leads up to the role by explaining what the earth will be. Hey, I'm going to provide for all your needs because I am over you. Anything you need, I will provide it for you. Now, what happens in the fall, and we don't have time to, to, to break it all open, what happens in the fall is this. We end up, through rebellion, handing the authority over this earth that we carried into the hands of Satan. But there's something interesting that takes place there. Because we've broken away, because we have have renounced the rule of God over ourselves as humans, now God is not the one who is the source of order over man. Who now is over man? Man is now over man. And we see this with Cain and Abel. We see... Conflict arises, and now it's not God who steps in and says, you know what, here's what's good, here's what's evil, Um, here's the way it's going to be. What happens is now we see what happens when God is not in control. And when God is not in control, man puts himself in control. The very nature in the garden of what happens is that we take the seat of, of God, we take the seat of judgment. Me, we decide that we are the judge. We know what's right. We know what's wrong, and what's so interesting about this in the Scriptures in the Old Testament is that we see this theme begins to be carried out in the Old Testament to where man begins to tell man, I know what's right for you, you do not. And so what happens, leading up to the Tower of Babel, and with Noah, we see that the earth is falling into deeper and deeper evil. And the reason of this is very simple. Because God, the one who used to keep order, He used to keep place, He used to keep everything where it needed to be. He's not there anymore. And So now, the only way for order to happen is that man is now putting men in place. How do we enact our will over others? Fighting, coercion, and violence. Right? So, when you guys begin to read the Old Testament... It's a little bit what? A little bit gory, isn't it? There's murder and bloodshed. And again, this is what creation, what the world looks like when God is not in control. And so what takes place, what we see here is that we see that God decides that he wants to make things right. And so he finds a man in Abraham. He makes a covenant. And he tells him that through his family, through, through this people, he's going to bless all the nations on the earth. And so so what we see here in the Old Testament is we see the people of Israel become the embodiment of the Garden of Eden. The idea of Israel is that they would be a people that's so different, they're so countercultural. they're so not normal that Israel would stand apart from all the Gentiles because of the way that they, they ate, the way they washed themselves, the way... The things they did, the things that they did not do, their community was supposed to look like, to the world, the image of what the world should be, what God's in control. Now, in the story, we all know what? That didn't work, did it? Okay, we can all do this, right? <laughs> you guys are like nervous. Oh, he's about to hit us with something. So it didn't work, Okay. And so what happens in this is we see that, you know, they didn't have the ability to, to truly embody what it was like when God was in control. And, and so we see all this, this all takes place in 1 Samuel where God speaks to them and says, okay, the, the season of Judges is over. I want you to let me be your king. In the Scriptures, if you know the Old Testament, it's actually the second time which he's asked his people, let me be your king. And their answer is what? No. We want Saul, right? Big, brash, loud speaking. He can fix anything, can't he? I didn't mean to do that one, actually. That was just a. That was accidental. I apologize for that one. Simply put, what we see here is that the intention of God was always that he would be able to regain order, that, that man would choose to let God be king over them, that man would choose to submit themselves, to come underneath the order, the will of God. So in Jesus, we see this order taking place. We see that in, in a human form, going all the way back to the request of Israel, we want a man, so God sends a man. Of course, he sends himself as a man, and Jesus is this person. He is the one who's going to embody this leadership, the, the, the kingship of the kingdom. Now, what's so interesting in all this is, taking a step back, it's important for us to understand, what is a nation, if you will? I mean, why do nations exist? If you guys have your Bibles, go to uh, Romans 13, I'll start there in uh, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and these authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, my iPad shut off again. then it's going to bear... Oh, it's not even on the screen. Then it's going to bear the sword. That really went bad. It literally shut down as I'm reading. Okay, here's what it says in paraphrase, okay? It says that the reason that we have nations and governments, simply put, nations exist for one purpose. God allows them to exist to bear the sword. Understood? Now, we understand this because we understand that the only way for man to enforce order over man, the only way for me to make sure you do what I want you to do is how? To force you. Who has children? You understand what I'm saying. Okay. Hopefully you don't use a sword. we we'll not have to report you. Okay. Through human history, the way that we look back at history is that... We see the times in history as dark ages, as the periods in history where no one was in control because there's chaos. And the times in history where a empire or a nation was in control, the times that we look back and we think that, hey, everything was going great. But what's hidden inside of this is that nations, again, are only able to keep order with the sword. What's the modern day sword, right? I mean, nuclear weapons, right? I've got a bigger stick than you do. Does that make sense? If you step out of line, I'm gonna use this big stick to put you back in line. So Russia and the US continue to get bigger sticks. And of course we stopped playing that game for a little while, but now we've started again, haven't we? And again, anyone who has logic knows that that stick is a bad stick to use. Because everyone loses. But again, the only way for me to ensure you do what I want you to do is that I have the stick in my hand. It's the only way. And I have to be willing to use it. Now, nations exist because God allows them to exist. Um, the word there in the, the NIV is, uh, it says He establishes them. The Greek word, I'm going to mess this up, To tagmane. I'm so bad with Greek. It's okay. All right. Here's what it means He places them in order, meaning He puts them in their place. Now, we as Americans have to be very careful with this. When we hear a verse that talks about how God is the one who establishes nations to keep order, we assume that that's only what? Good nations. If one nation has been established to keep order, All nations have been established to keep order. This is very important for us to understand. All nations are allowed to exist. It's not that God is moving through them. It's that He has put them in a place to do a certain purpose. He allows them to exist for one reason. To keep order. And they are there to keep order in a broken world where we are all selfish and we are, are full of lust. And pride and evil and envy and hate, and the reason is, if someone doesn't threaten us with a stick, we're going to hurt someone else. But the problem is is that to keep order, people have to be beat with the sticks, right? Someone has to use a sword to keep order. Who's ever seen a protest before? OK? You must I have to be very careful how we trade here, obviously, right? If we have chaos, we all suffer, right? But to keep order, someone must suffer. Does that make sense? And so it forces us into this position where we have to seek the common good. Meaning, well, we have to find a way to help as many people as possible because someone has to suffer. Because in this broken world, the only way to keep things right is someone's going to be on the other end of the sword, of the gun, of the missile, of the stick. That's it. And all you tree huggers can all say, let's all love each other, but we all know what's going to happen, right? Right? Here's what you have to understand. Nations are God's instrument for order. They are not God's instrument for His kingdom. Amen? Amen? I understand that this is kind of a shocking thing for us, but you have to understand this in the scriptures. He allows them to exist, but you need to see this: nations do not exist in heaven. When Jesus returns to establish to finalize His kingdom, how explain this? In this moment in history, the kingdom of God is an option. The kingdom of God is available. Anyone who wants to come into the kingdom, who wants to come underneath the the covering of God, has a choice. It's an option. It's never forced. But you must understand when he returns, when he returns to fully establish his kingdom, he will topple all other governments and powers that oppose him. Here's the issue you cannot have power and not oppose Jesus. We'll open that up later. There will be a time when his reign is not an option. His reign will be enforced. There is judgment and all other forms of power will be abolished. There will be no other nations or governments or rules or reigns or force or sticks. They will all be destroyed. When you read the verses about heaven, you will find people from nations and from races and who speak different languages, but you will never see the establishment of any other reign, force, force, Government, mayor, president, they will not exist. Because when God returns, when God is in control, no one else is. He does not share his throne. The best uh, king, president, emperor on the earth will have no place to exercise authority when Jesus returns to fully establish his kingdom. This we must understand. Because what's so crucial for us as Christians is we must understand that the kingdom is not any nation. You have to understand this. The kingdom is not any nation on the earth that has been or that will ever be. But nations are not entirely bad. There are good that they do, but they do it the way that the world does it. We're quiet this morning. The definition of nation here, it says they are a community of people composed of one or more nationalities which possess a desired territory and a government. A nation is a group of people that comes underneath a form of order, okay? Whether it's the Constitution or, you know, we have a way of keeping order, a way of doing things. We have a way of protecting these people. We have a way of providing for these people. It's called a government. Now, there's a new term which we have to learn in the Scriptures, that when Jesus arrives, His message is what? He, He came... Proclaiming that, that the what? what? The, the kingdom. kingdom. Now, what's a kingdom? We're quiet. Lord, have mercy. Do what? Yeah. A king has a... <laughs> That's a dangerous point, Cheryl. Yes. To have a kingdom, you have to have a what? And we all know that a king gets elected, right? That we all have a say. You yeah, know, but who gets to be king, right? The reason that we you know, are not fans of you know, all the kings in history was because we didn't have a say. It, it didn't matter who we were or the opinions that we held. Now, to have a kingdom. What a kingdom is, is this. A kingdom is it's a king's dome. Okay? It's everywhere where that king has absolute control and final say. If you would, the kingdom is where what God wants to be done happens. So, if there is a place where there is murder, is that the will of God taking place? Is that where what God wants to happen happens? And if you have a question about what God wants to happen, the image we have is the Garden of Eden. When God's in control, these things do not take place. The moment God is not in control, what happens? Envy, jealousy, murder, hatred. And so the kingdom of God is everywhere where God is fully in control. And in the future, when Jesus returns, everything will come underneath the covering of God. If it exists, it will exist underneath the kingdom of God, His his kingship. But until then, His kingdom is not fully extended everywhere. His kingdom is at hand. It has come. His reign has been inaugurated. But it has not conquered this land, what they would do during the time of the Romans, what you would do is if you had an army from a kingdom and, you know, you're coming to war, you would send someone to speak for you. That's an ambassador, right? The person would come up and they would say, okay, here's the words of my king. We're at the gates. Here's how many we have. And if you don't want to fight, here's your options. If you do not choose to, to take these options, we will conquer you right? What does the Scriptures call you? Ambassadors of Christ, of a king, isn't it? And so what you have to understand is this. When he's announcing the imminence of a kingdom, what the Jews hear is we're finally raising the army to establish God's kingdom. We're going to go to war with Rome. When the Romans hear that here is this teacher who has followers, he's declaring that the kingdom of Yahweh is here, what do you think they're thinking? The same exact thing. And their understanding is even more accurate than the understanding that most of us have of the kingdom. What's happening here that we have to understand is that Jesus is coming to establish a kingdom and in His kingdom, the only way in is to take Him on as what? king. Can you have two kings? Can you have a king and a president? You guys are like, if you're married, you can have... Yes, you can... Okay, that didn't, that didn't work. <laughs> Equal opportunity offenders to today. All right, if you guys have your Bibles, go to John, John 18. John 18, 33. This is very important for all of us. If you're taking notes, please put this down. If you are having trouble seeing that the kingdom is not a nation... The, the, the kingdom—it's it, it, not a government. The the kingdom will not be inaugurated through any other earthly leader, uh, but Jesus. Here's the verse I want you to read: John eighteen thirty-three. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, "Are you the King of the Jews?" Pause right there. Remember, at this time in history, Herod and his sons are the King of the Jews. Because Rome has established him as power, so he has his own soldiers, he has his palace, he has his throne. Okay, and so what they're asking is, are you planning to take back this kingdom? Okay, the first kind of you know question is, are you, know, are you the one who's going to start an army with Herod? And of course, like, like the ultimate question is, are you a threat to Rome? And here's what he says: Do you ask this on your own accord, or did others tell you to ask me? Pilate replied, "I am not a Jew." Am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Pause right there. This is very important. Pilate is still thinking the same way we are. His question, well, his statement to Jesus is, your nation has handed you over to us. Okay, no, hold with that. Jesus could say, yes, that's my nation. It's not my nation. Okay, remember, how he answers, it tells us how he saw his nation. Agreed? Let's read what he says. But as it is... I got lost again. Here he goes. He says, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. If you, did you just see that? He didn't say, if my kingdom were, you know, some kingdom, my kingdom would be fighting to keep me from your hands. He says, my kingdom is such that the kingdom, the nation of the Jews is, is warring against me. And if my kingdom were of the earth, my soldiers would be fighting the Jews right now. Did you guys see that? He set himself opposed to it. He said, I'm not with them. More specifically, they are not with me. And so his response, Pilate asked him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born. And for this, I came into this world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asks him, What is truth? One of the most clear distinctions between how Jesus saw the kingdom he was bringing on the earth. Well, Jesus, how are you going to vote? Israel or Rome? Caesar or Herod? What does he say? They're not with me. But I am a king. Meaning, I'm on the ballot. He does not contest the idea that his kingdom is on its way. He does not contest that his kingdom has plans to advance on the earth. He does not say that. He, just, he, he says, you don't understand what you're even asking me. But my kingdom is a real kingdom and my kingdom is really coming. And they are not with me. Um, we read from the Gospel of Luke last week and we read how with Jesus, uh, you know, he, he goes in the desert, he gets tempted uh, after his baptism, uh, and then he walks in the temple, he reads the scroll, and what he does is he reads the, the, the prophecy from Isaiah. And what he's saying Simply put, he reads the passage about this, the kingdom and what, what the Messiah is going to establish, what this Savior, the one that God's going to send to make all things right, what he's going to do. And he reads it, and he sits down. And of course, in custom in that time was you would stand, honor the Word, and you would sit down to teach. And so he sits down to teach, and what's he say? And he says, and in your hearing, this is fulfilled. The Messiah is here. What I didn't read to you was what happened after that. Who knows what happened after that? His first awesome sermon in Scriptures. They haul him off to the hill to throw him off. Because his statement was such an affront. We don't want that king. We're waiting for someone else. You're not him. And so what happens here in John, if you guys go to to, uh, 18, what happens here in John 18 is after Pilate says, you know, what is truth, he turns back to the crowd of Jews and he says, do you want me to release the king of the Jews to you? And they say what? He's not our king. Kill him. This was not a, a spiritual moment of salvation where they're at the altar and, you know, do you receive you know, Jesus as King you know, so you can go to heaven? This was an earthly, real, tense moment where things are at stake. There's, there's lives at stake. There's oppression. There's death. There's violence. And what they're saying is He is not the answer. He can't change anything. Look at Him. He can't even save Himself. And of course, it's the same, same things that are said. As he dies on the cross. If he was a king, he would do something. If he really had any power to make any change in this world, but he doesn't. You have to get this today. The way that we live, the way that we interact with this world, specifically the way we interact with politics, it tells the world, it tells your children, it tells you your city exactly what kind of solution you think Jesus is. Can Jesus fix this? Can he really bring any change? And the answer from most of us is no. He's too spiritually minded to be any you know, earthly good. Right? Because we've got real problems. Yeah, 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 Christian and, you know, Jesus. But we need a leader. Someone to save us and fix this stuff, right? Jesus and all that stuff, that's all just, you know. You have to get this. You have to see this. The call of the kingdom of God was not simply about salvation. It was not simply just something about what happens in the future when, when the world comes to an end. This is talking about what God was doing now with real problems, with real people, and it's a real question for you. Who is your king? Where does your allegiance lie? Most importantly, where does your hope lie? Don't give me all that stuff. Oh, Jesus. And then tomorrow you're, you're angry, you're afraid, you're fearful, you're, you're posting all those videos. You know what I'm talking about. And the motivation, the motivation behind the angst and the anger and the fear is we need real help. Because Jesus isn't going to provide it. What is really hidden in there is that we see that Jesus is over here. He's not concerned with any of these things. Now, if you guys have your Bibles, 1 Peter 2.9. Now, the context here is very important. I want you to understand who he's writing to. He's writing to Gentiles. He's not writing to purely Jews, okay? Because if he was, the meaning would be very different. He's writing to a mixture here, Jews and Gentiles. Here's what he says to them. But you are a chosen people. Pause. Pause. If he was saying this to Jews, it would make a whole lot of sense, wouldn't it? Because yes, they were a chosen people. This makes no sense when he's saying this to a Gentile. But you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. Let's pause right there. The Apostle Peter is now declaring who is, who represents the nation, the holy, set-apart, the consecrated, the fully devoted, the fully under-God nation on the earth. He's about to tell us who it is. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you are not a people, pause, He could not be saying that to Jews. The Jews were always a people. Their lineage goes all the way back to Abraham. They were always a people. He's talking to a new group of people. Once you were not a people, but now you are what? The people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, meaning... They're now a part of a new nation, a new people, a priesthood, because they've had to leave what? Their homes. They used to be part of a nation, of a people. But to be a part of this one, they had to do what? They had to leave it. The refugees, spiritual, physical. And as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that He visits us. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Pause right there. I want you to understand something. And I want you to to trust my heart Understand understand I'm not trying to, to attack how you might see things. I want you to understand this. I honor and am submitted to this nation, to the government, to the President, for one reason. Because my King told me so. I want you to understand that. Because my allegiance is with Jesus. But I will honor and fully submit and appreciate, and support, and bless, and, you know, invest, and on and on and on, because my king tells me so. But I am his, and his people are my people. His nation is my nation, and everything else is second. I know this is hard. I know this. If you lived in Syria, would this be a hard teaching for you to understand? Would it be hard for you to to believe that there's a separation between what is God's, what is kingdom, and what is allegiance to king? Between what is allegiance to a nation and to a president? It would be not hard for you at all because it would be so clear to you, this is evil and this is good. We have a nation that looks and does many great things. This is a good nation that's done many good things, but you cannot confuse it with the kingdom of God. Submit yourselves, for Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Oh, I love that verse. Because being a Christian is good. Jesus' slave. Wouldn't you want to sign up to be Jesus' slave today? Okay, nobody? All right. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Now, let's end here on this, okay? I want every one of you to be able to, to, to fully enjoy and, and honor and even invest in, in this nation. Because again, I mean, not all, not all nations are equal. There are qualities and values of the kingdom of God that can be embraced by a nation or that can be pushed off by a nation. But as long as you're able to understand that a nation is a nation and is not the kingdom. As long as you are able to understand that to be a Christian is to confess Christ as Lord. Your ultimate allegiance has to lie in one place first. Once you've settled that in your heart, now you are free to be able to, to operate and live in this nation and to honor it, to respect it, to value it, but also... Stay with me. You also must operate as an ambassador of the kingdom. You must embody the alternative. The ambassador of Sweden, when he comes to the U.S., he is not engaged in this world. He speaks for another kingdom, for another power. And everything he does, it represents that place. You are first a Christian, you are second an American. Now, I understand that we have so many questions about this, and I, trust me, please, please take this to prayer. And if there are still things about this that just zing or just makes you angry or frustrated, I want you to come talk with me. And understand this, you do not even have to agree with the way that I understand the scriptures, but you have to wrestle with them. You need to go home, read these passages, pray over them and say, Lord, what does this mean? for me and for how I see my world and how I follow you. At least this needs to challenge you to live out your faith in a more real and practical way every single day. Next week, we're going to talk about third-party voting. There's a question mark on the end of it, for those of you who don't believe in that. Okay, so it's, it's third-party voting, question mark. Now, I'm playing around, but next week we're going to get more into the nitty-gritty. Okay, I get this. Jesus, his statement was really painful. I get this. Allegiance to Jesus is a real thing that affects my allegiance everywhere else. I get it. But what does it look like, Devin. What does it look like when it comes to my work, when it comes to voting, when it comes you know, to interacting, comes to policy, to abortions, to war, you know, to oppression? What does it look like, Devin? We're going to open it up next week, okay? Until then, please trust my heart. You don't have to agree with the, with the teaching. Trust my heart and talk to me, okay? I do not want to have a half full sanctuary next Sunday, and I would rather not be on CNN either, okay? <laughs> so please keep it to yourself. No, I'm just kidding. Um, let's all stand, if you would. We went a bit long today, and apologize for that, but I, uh, we're going to end here with communion, communion, the the table of God. We're going to do it a little bit different. Um, once I pray in things... Uh, I'm just going to leave this open for you guys to come do as you will. So after I close, you guys are going to be able to come up on your own and, because I, I believe that there are spaces for us in our walk with Jesus that we must work out personally, okay? You can be a follower of Jesus and completely disagree on politics. Do you hear me? I don't care what any other pastor tells you. He, he's wrong or she's wrong. Do you hear me? Tell him I said so. Don't tell them, no. (laughs) You can be a follower of Jesus and completely disagree. And this is the table of God where we come with one commonality. We can have nothing in common, different age, race, background, income, understanding, education, politics. But we come at the table because here we are nothing but brothers and sisters under the reign of our King. Amen. we're going to end with the Lord's prayer together and so uh, what I'm going to do I'll read it and just kind of uh, repeat after me and it's it's always difficult to get the phrasing down so just kind of follow after me we're going to do that and then we're going to go into communion you guys ready here's what it says our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Last thing, Jesus is King. Amen. Father, I just pray over your people. Lord, I ask for grace this week, Lord, we, I truly believe that, that, that this is a church of people who desire to follow you, but following you is not easy, it's painful and frustrating. And so, and so Lord, this week I ask that it, those of us who are just having a hard time chewing this, we ask for grace, that there would just be just times where it just clicks. Father, I ask that there would just be emotional grace to help people be able to come and sit down and talk it out and just to get the stuff out of the way. I ask, Lord, that we would, according to your scriptures, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And everyone said, amen. The table's open. I encourage you guys. Everyone's welcome. Come on down take communion. And the worship team will be here for you. Prayer team will be here also. Have a great week.